You're dead, son. Get yourself buried. Welcome to episode 113 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other hustlers as masterpieces. I am Nick, the young, cynical press agent of the film, and I am joined as ever by Roger. I don't think I want to be anybody in this film, but hello. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are discussing... 1957s, um, directed by Alexander McKendricks, The Sweet Smell of Success. Yeah, and if I needed argument to get me out of my strict position on noir, then this is definitely it, because this cannot be anything except noir. But at the same time, it definitely does not have a hero who is untouched by the grubby world. So <laughs> we have had a few noir that where we haven't had the, um, mm. uh, the man who is himself not mean. Um, I mean, one can yeah, argue with is... many of them about, you know, is it really noir or not? But this very much is. And yeah, okay, I give up. <laughs> I, it's tricky, isn't it? We had a whole episode trying to define noir and sort of got there. But here it's, um, visually, it's very noir. I know, uh, I mean, but it's it gets black stuck and white. on my shoe. <laughs> yeah, um, quite, quite late for black and white, really. So, uh, uh, yeah. We've certainly had, we've certainly discussed uh, Technicolor films. Uh, and other other filmic techniques are available um, from prior to this. Some of Hitchcock's um, mm. uh, was this the same year as Vertigo, or it's very close to it, something like that. Yeah. Um, but this is a black and white film. It stars. Um, uh, I really is a bit of a two hander, to be honest. There are other people in it, but it's Tony Curtis, Burt Lancaster, both. Again, we've had a, a, a few films recently of of. Axis playing against type, and I think it's probably fair to say here they were both playing against type. Mm. Yeah, not that Tony Curtis was especially well known, but yeah, Lancaster is certainly known at this point as the leading man, the romantic hero, um, probably best known, I'd guess, for, for From Here to Eternity. Yes, which I've never seen, should actually. I, I mainly know it from the airplane skit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and at the very least, I mean, A, he's not a particularly nice guy, but also they're, they're hiding him behind the glasses, a bit like, um, De Niro in Brazil. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here is the yes. guy who's famous for his face, but we're not going to show his face. So this is a, a, uh, it's noir as well as visually, but in the, the kind of, uh, this is the seedy underbelly. Uh, so we're in New York and it is, um, I mean, it's really down and dirty in that the whole film is quite claustrophobic. You feel like you're in a crowd with busy people doing other things all the time, um, around you. Um, and it's, yeah. uh, even in street just, scenes, there's always, there are always lots of people about. Yes, it's, it's just, it's the city that never sleeps and there's a thousand stories. And, um, unfortunately we're, <laughs> we're stuck with these horrible people doing this horrible thing. It's the, the film. We'll talk about it more, I guess, as we discuss the plot. But it, it, it struck me as very similar in some ways to Uncut Gems, mm. which we both didn't like very much. But it is about basically about horrible people doing horrible things for the most part. I think 
Hmm. We we may come back to this. The the impression I got is that at the very least, they they may not realise that an alternative is possible, but they are at least <laughs> not entirely happy with the lives they have. They're, they're aware that something is not right. Whereas I I don't think our man in uncut gems had even that much self awareness. I think I think he was happy with who he was right up to the moment he got shot. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, very happy. Um, uh, yeah, that's true. Whereas at least you get the impression here. They kind of know better, <laughs> but they're doing it anyway. Um, so, I mean, the plot is Sidney Falco, Tony Curtis. There's some great names in this, and that for somehow that some reason they're very memorable. Falco um, and JJ Hunsecker um, is Burt Lancaster. Um, so, Falco is this um, press agent who uh, basically gets his clients column space mm. um, by doing uh, favors. Um, not always uh, what you might call nice favours for um, Burt Lancaster's character, which is this J.J. Hunsecker, who's a, a kind of character... Uh, it's hard to uh, visualise the kind of person who would have such power now. I mean, the kind of... Uh, he is a, a columnist. He decides what goes into columns. Yeah, um, I, th- when... I think that's the key thing. He He's presented in the manner of the newspaper magnate, but he, he is a writer for the paper, not its owner. Yes, yes, he's he's sort of like the the Rupert Murdoch um kingmaker in a way. You know, what he's he, he you know, it's mentioned in the it's mentioned in the film that, you know, he's made presidents, he's broken presidential car- candidates, he can clearly, you know, if he writes a bad review of a, a play, that's it. Um he's uh he the power he has is uh, is immense, and he was based on a, a, a real character. So I mean, this was the way it was. I think um, I, I forget the name of the I've forgotten the name of the columnist because, uh, but he was based on a real columnist um, who, who wielded similar sort of power. I don't know hmm. if he was writing for the New York Times or, um, but it's it's well, interesting. Walter cause, Winchell, to some extent, at least. It's interesting because that sort of dynamic doesn't really exist now or no one person quite holds that power. But as I say, someone like Rupert Murdoch would be a, a sort of good analogue for today. He's a bit like Citizen Kane in a, in another sort of way. Well, ex- um, except Murdoch has always tried to work from the position of the owner. You know, yes, I can break you, but it's not because I personally write something nasty about you. It's because I tell my expendable writers to write something nasty about you. So yes. But I suppose in terms of power and influence. But this ty- this dynamic, Hun- Hunsecker doesn't come in until, um, what's about, I don't know, it feels like a long time because it, it sort of casts a shadow over the first part of the film. So that when he arrives, he's, he's already this sort of, um, legendary figure. So Sydney is, um, uh, it's become clear that, uh, Hunsucker is, is, uh, Hunsucker, um, is that right? I keep getting Hunsucker. the name wrong, despite having said Hunsucker, is, um, uh, obsessed with his, um, sister to the point where he, uh, decides what relationship she can be in. She's got into a relationship he doesn't want her in, and Sydney has promised that he will sort that out. He'll break up the relationship. And has failed. So as Falco starts the story, um, he's in trouble because if Hunsecker 
casts him off. Basically, he's got no other power, really. That he's, he's yeah, I mean, himself that, to Hunsucker. I think it's suggested there are other columnists, but there is nobody with anything like this level of power. And, you know, if Falco boosts someone and everybody else writes about him and Hunsucker doesn't, it still isn't going to work. So, I, Well, we do have another columnist crop up um, uh, later on. Uh, I think that's... Um, is it Joe Frisco? Um, but it's... Uh, in a quite unpleasant scene, um, but we'll talk about that sure. um, anon. Uh, how do you think about Tony Curtis here? Um, how do you feel? Because one of our problems, this is really, uh, it's a bit of a two-hander. We, we're sort of seeing it through Falco's eyes, um, and we follow sort of Falco's fortunes, but we also see a lot more of um, Hunsaker. Mm. And I compared this to Uncut Gems, where it's all about Adam Sandler, and we follow him the whole time. Um, it's that's why it, it reminded me a bit of that. Does Tony Curtis, who is from the outside outset, um, quite clearly morally bankrupt? Did you well, have a similar reaction to him as you did to Adam Sandler's character? No, I, I think it was a, more of a split thing because on, on you know the, the surface he projects is certainly you know look at me I can I can make you I can break you I can do whatever I like, mm. but from the first moment we see him we we see how hard he is struggling to keep that going. I mean yes, yes he puts on that surface for everybody he meets because that's that's the guy he is. Um, and that's the role he, he's forced to play. Cause if he stopped, it would fall apart even further. But. Yes. He is never feeling smug or self-satisfied. Maybe, maybe sometimes very briefly when a particular thing goes right. But, you know, for more than a few minutes, he, he's always, I've got, a, here is the next thing that will break me if I get it wrong. Here is the next thing. Yes. I think, uh, yeah, for me, I was, I wouldn't say entirely on his side. You know, he treats his secretary oh, no. he clearly absolutely not him. Uh, he treats her pretty awfully and, and cuts her down. And you know, uh, uh, but he's at least aware enough to know that he's being awful to her. Um, and yeah, you, you feel ah uh, empathetic, or at least a bit sympathetic, in the sense that you can see the kind of world he's trying to survive in and how hard he's having to swim just to stay afloat. Um, well, one feels that there might have been a way to do it without being an utterly horrible person, but <laughs> nobody here ever, ever even considers that possibility. So, no, exactly, exactly. Well, there are some more decent characters, more peripheral decent characters, but yes, pretty much everyone in this world is doing the same thing, and you sort of get the impression anyone who hasn't has been kind of selected out relatively quickly from that kind of world. But he's. Um, He's clearly uh, taking advantage of everyone he can to get to... Uh, he seems to have a goal in mind. Um, and you get the impression if he gets that goal, he will stop and relax and try and enjoy it. Um, I, I never got that sense. I, I felt that what he was trying okay. to do was more of the same. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he, he so. would like to have Hunsecker more in his debt. He would like to be ghosting Hunsecker's column for him as, as is offered to him as a bribe later on. But it's as a means to be even more the guy that he already is, not yeah. because he wants to make his three million and retire or whatever. So it does have similar, you know, with, with um, uncut gems, and I am going to keep 
uh, touching on Untucked mm. Gems because we really didn't like it that much. And it, and it really um, struck me how different my reaction was to this. So yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Particularly to the, the main character, um, you know, Tony Curtis is just instantly not more likable, but, um, I don't know. He's very watchable. I would mm. certainly say that watching him sort of dance around and do his hustles. Uh, whereas I found it irritating in Uncut Gems, it's kind of mesmerizing for me here. Yeah. Um, so he comes up, he, he meets Hunsaker, he hustles his way onto the table, and then we have Hunsaker, um, as Burt Lancaster as this kind of, um, I don't know, it's like a Roman patronage sort of system, isn't it? He's just sitting at the table waiting for these people to come and offer him their goods mm. um, in terms of favours or money or whatever, and he sort of doles out his favours in return. Um, so it's an interesting... I like that scene at the table. also interesting that it, it, it's all done on promises rather than I will actually give you a thing right now. It's, yeah, it's nothing as tacky as let me give you a you know a fifty. You do this for me. It's all. I mean, the dialogue in the film is so they have to trust each other to some extent, even though yes. they clearly don't, which, which is nice in itself. There's a nice it builds up an, an interesting dynamic, and you, it also it doesn't spend a lot of time explaining it. It just shows you mm. how it works, and I, I do appreciate that. You know, it, it's uh, you get it quite easily, and it, it shows it very well. But it's not. Um, I mean, maybe I suppose it lays it on a bit thick how powerful this guy is, but it probably it's it's helpful from the distance of time, not quite understanding what what the what power these columnists wielded. Um, but it's yeah, it, it's a nice done, and I love that scene at the table where he's sort of they're talking to each other, kind of through the other people at the table, and they they're coming up with this. Um, you know, he nearly has him removed, and then they're. The dialogue is is very good, um, mm. but almost it doesn't work because it's not it's not realistic dialogue at all. You know, no one kind of talks in these um, quip non sectors outside of a Joss Whedon um, uh, film. Or the but, Thin Man, of course. Or thi- well, Thin Man. Um, uh, yes, it's similar theme. It's all quips and joke, but here it's just dripping with malice and kind of <laughs> mm. hatred and self hatred and. Um, you know, there's, whenever Hunsucker says anything, it's dripping with this, um, I could ruin you and I might do it, you know, see how I feel. Um, uh, and so you sort of admire, um, Falco for having the balls to stand up to him at all when he does. It's, it's, um, interesting. Mm. Uh, then we go to a jazz club. Um, I personally, I'm not a huge fan of jazz, um, but Depends it's on always jazz. interesting. Um, yeah. It, uh, it's nice to see some, um, not the lead singers uh, and uh, lead um, uh, band leaders, but it's nice to have some black people actually <laughs> playing jazz for a change in these films. Mm. Um, so Falco, and the reason he goes to a jazz club is because he has to break up the relationship between the um, uh, the band leader, um, who is, uh, is it Steve? Um and his yeah. uh, Steve and Dallas, which is tricky for those of us who who used to read Bleed County. <laughs> okay, um, and his uh, and and Hunsaker's daughter. So he's tried unsuccessfully. Uh, little, sister. little sister, yeah. Well, that's. I'll tell you why I get confused because there is quite an age gap between um, mm. uh, Lancaster and his. So I think it. I don't know. Would it have been creepier if it was daughter? Uh, that. 
They were the, 25 years apart in actual yeah, age. Okay. So. In then that is why uh, that aids my defence, Your Honour. But one thing that I don't quite buy, that doesn't quite ring true to me, is uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't quite buy that he's so obsessed. I guess it's all about power and control, but I, I'm not quite sure I entirely buy that he's so obsessed with his sister that he has to control this relationship. My my feeling is there's a, there's a bit of a backstory, and you know maybe maybe their parents died, and he's he's seen himself as the father because he's quite a bit older than her. Mm-hmm. And knows more of the world, and particularly the horrible side of the world. Yes. But I, I, having said it out loud, now I agree that, and it does strike me as a, a means of, you know, he is a man that is all about control and power, uh, and he probably wants to extend that to his his sister as well. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it would be fair to say it's his default approach to a, a relationship. So, but much to Falco's horror, not only is the relationship going well, it's going very well because um, Steve proposes to her that evening. Um, the but, swine. What a bastard. Doesn't he know what Falco needs to do to live in this uh, world? Um, but Falco comes out with a, uh, comes up with a pretty good plan. Um, which is that, um, he realizes, um, Steve, um, has some kind of morals and ethics. Um, and, um, much to his confusion, but to his delight, that means that he can basically play him off Hunsecker. Um, Put him in a position where Hunsucker sort of, Hunsucker offers him a favour, kind of knowing that Steve will reject it and that will cause a problem with the relationship. So this is a, it's a slightly convoluted plot, but it, it plays out well and it works well. And it's not like you can't imagine anyone coming up with that scheme, having seen how, how they work together. But also, the, this this is where I definitely get get the uh, uncut gems feel of you know, Falco, you know, try try this bit of plan that goes wrong. Ah, oh, well, yes. this going wrong was my, was my was how it was supposed to work all the time. Now I'll just build this on top of it, and then I'll build that on top of it. And if, if you've seen that diagram of you know the entire commercial internet, and then a tiny little block at the bottom with one bit of code that's been unmaintained for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I, the, you know, he's deluding himself about his own competence. Yes, but that's he, but fair it's enough. But good enough yes. that he can, he can keep it spinning and keep it spinning, and usually, eventually, it works out for him. And we we get a lot from the, these unstated the way people act, and we don't actually see any of this. We don't have to be told it. And I, I do rather like that. Yes, I, it doesn't treat you as um, an idiot. Um, his his plan is to basically get. Um, Get Steve exposed as a, a marijuana user uh, in a in a newspaper column, so that Hunsucker can then say not, not Hunsucker specifically, not but crucially not Hunsucker, so that he can go to Hunsucker and he can be all like, "Well, son, I know you're not." Um, uh, basically, give him a kind of slimy offer that Steve's bound to refuse. I, I particularly well, basically, liked... I, I can get you rehired. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I particularly like this scene where Falco is trying to get other columnists to do his dirty work. Mm. There, um, there, there and, is that 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 bit of blackmail is just utterly gorgeous. Yes, where he well, uh, well, there's two bits to it. I think one is where he tries to blackmail one columnist who, by saying, you know, I know you you had a fling, um, and I'll tell your wife. 
Um, and the who is right there? Who is right there? So they're dancing around it with this um, interesting dialogue, and the columnist actually finds some courage to say, "No, do you know what? Rather than do this horrible thing, I'm just going to admit right now to my wife what happened." And his wife is. Uh, says, you know, I think that's the most courageous thing you've done in 20... It's not necessarily going to end happily. His first decent act in years, specifically. Yes, yeah. Um, So it's not, you know, it's not wonderful, but so Falco's um, failed with his first columnist and then the the second, um, where he sets up... So we've already had set up that this girl is obviously sweet, because Tony Curtis um, is is quite easy on the eye. It's fair to say. You can understand why and he has... presumably has at least a bit of cash to throw around and so on. Yes, and he's a, you know, he's a bit of a mover uh, and a shaker. So it uh, clearly uh, is attractive. Um, and a match girl from the... Cigarette uh, girl. Uh, sorry. <laughs> a cigarette girl from the... Um, Oh, match me. It's because I'm getting confused because he's always lighting people's um, cigarettes. That's one of the quotes from it. Match me, Sydney. Um yeah. He, uh, she's waiting for him in his apartment. He knows she's gonna be, but surprise, he brings home someone else and prostitutes her out to him in this mm. horrible scene, uh, but mesmerizing scene where he basically explains to her why she's got no choice really, you know, haven't you got that son in military school and aren't you gonna, it's, um, it's horrible, but very watchable and very believable. And she falls for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yes, on the one hand, there's the genuine pressure he's putting on her, and on the other, I, I think there's a suggestion that she genuinely thinks that one day she might actually get his attention, not just be a tool in his arsenal. I mean, she's wrong, obviously. but She's wrong, yes, but I agree. She clearly has strong feelings for him, and he clearly, uh, yeah, sees her as um, uh, a, a, a means of getting to his um, end. Let's not Which forget, is, of course, this, this is all happening under the code. Yeah, yeah, this it's so. so I, I think it. I, worked, I think it, it helps that none of this is said explicitly. It's all in euphemism. I, I see. I, I've, there's a lot to be said for the code in that. There's some great dancing around subjects, aren't there? there? There's I mean, some really so, stupid censors. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, um, but the code was nearing its end at this point i can't remember when the wild bunch was it was like 63 but uh, mm. we're we're approaching the new wave uh movement a few years off it yet but we're yeah. approaching it where the the code just kind of gave up the ghost eventually but here it's beautifully danced around as you say um uh yeah that's a that's a horrible scene but he gets what he wants and the columnist writes uh basically slanders um steve in his column um, who gets fired uh, from his uh, regular gig and has to go sort of cap in hand to Hunsucker, um, who uh, makes him an offer that the noble Steve can't really accept. Um, and that is something that breaks up, mm. uh, breaks up the relationship. So it's perfect. Um, this is where we get one of the few... Uh, well... I don't want to say one of the few female, the, the female characters in this are all, it's difficult because they're victims, uh, in a lot of ways and they're in thrall to Sydney, uh, you know, so it's not a great portrayal of women in a lot of ways, but also they're aware, um, and, you know, none of them are stupid. 
It's not um, a great portrayal of men either. It's not, to be fair. It's not a great portrayal of men. And, and we do start I mean, to Steve, get to know... Steve is probably the closest thing we have to a hero, and even he is very much led by his temper. Yeah, I mean, he messes it up because he's um, uh, uh, too... Too proud. I mean, I've been using noble, but you could say proud is is another way of looking at it. And certainly, uh, to uh, on the violent side. But Susan, we we start to get to understand Susan a bit. Who, uh, uh, played by um, Susan, Susan Harrison, Harrison. Uh, best and... known for this and a Twilight Zone episode, uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Oh, that's not a bad one, that either. Um, Susan is not fooled by the manipulation. She knows exactly what's happened. Um, and she knows that Falco did it. Um, and, and as you say, much like all of Huntsucker's deals, it's not, um, it's not out in the open. It's all couched in different languages. It's all safe. Um, oh, we haven't mentioned the, the cool, uh, a cool corrupt cop that we had as well. well yeah. Um, cause, Cause that's the next step. Um, so Susan has, broken up with Dallas, which is what Hunsecker wanted. Um, but Hunsecker was annoyed by the way Dallas insulted him. Because mm. Hunsecker, this is where it becomes clear that Hunsecker is, is playing the cheap patriotism card. Not that anybody would do that these days. Um, <laughs> of course not. And so he, he has decided, okay, I, I just want to destroy this guy. So you know, Sydney gets to plant some marijuana cigarettes on Dallas. And then, th- then they have the uh, corrupt police lieutenant uh, Harry Kello, yeah, who who uh, is primed to arrest him and beat him up because I I don't, I, don't, I, th- I think he's not bribed to beat him up. I think he just does that because he enjoys it. <laughs> he certainly gives the impression of uh, not being above corruption in the same way that the sea is not above the sky. Um, uh, yeah, but he's a nice uh, he's a nice character. You also get the feeling he's itching to beat the shit out of Sydney Falco whenever he can. And um, anybody else. Uh, and anyone else, yes. Fair point. Um, so, yes, Hunsaker acts out of kind of just petty pettiness, really. Mm. Partially jealousy, I think, as well. But it's... I mean, none of it is like... None of it is like, what? Why would he do that? You totally understand why this sort of person would do that thing. Because it's just... They're just uh, down in the gutter. Um, all the time being horrible. But Susan has a plan. Um, cause after Steve is hospital, is he in hospital? I think at this point, yeah. um, because of the lieutenant, um, she calls Sydney, um, to the apartment, uh, under the guise of being, um, JJ and saying that she needs to see Sydney at the end. So this is, this is the end of the movie really, because it turns out she then pretends we think um, that she's going to jump off the building. Sydney uh, uh, then sort of grabs her and is very frustrated, uh, roughs her up a little bit, but is also there's sort of a sexual tension there as well. Uh, and then JJ comes home at precisely the wrong moment. This slightly falls apart for me because I, of all the plans in this. Uh, the half-ass plans of all the people trying to get things done. Susan's just goes off so perfectly mm. with so many unpredictable it, elements it re- to especially it. Especially it relies on JJ turning up at the right moment. Exactly, yeah. It relies on Sydney reacting exactly as he's supposed to, which is fair enough, but it also relies on JJ coming back exactly when she's in his arms and uh, and for JJ not to see through it 
Uh, and he shouldn't play a player. Um, I would have thought. I well, JJ's less of a player than he thinks he is. I think. Well, yeah, I think that's fair enough. Yes, yeah, Sydney's probably and he, he, not fooled. He he has regarded Sydney with, um, you know, contempt, but he's useful at best. So. Yes, yeah. There's never any. It's not. He never sees him like a, a, a fond son or anything. It's just. Um, uh, well, like all the relationships in this film, for for most of the part, it's just um, transactional. Um, but it turns out this uh, is is the end for Sydney, who is then um, uh, ruined, um, and Lieutenant uh, Harry Keller gets his wish because he gets to come um, and uh, beat the shit out of um, Sydney because Huntsucker. They don't even really try and plan anything on him. They just then make up the story at that point that it was Sydney's fault all along. Um, mm. And then the, this sorry tale ends, really. Well, Susan, Susan is going off to be with Steve after all. Huntsucker loses everything. Well, he doesn't lose everything, but he loses his... Uh, he, loses he loses the one thing well. he cared about, which is his relationship with his sister. I yes. think that's the way it's meant to be portrayed, at least. Falco uh, loses his career and probably a few teeth um, and several years. Uh, and so every bad person gets their comeuppance. Um, it, I mean, the line of the film is very similar to Uncut Gems, you know. It's um, desperate people doing, or a desperate person doing desperate, thi- desperate things to stay afloat. Just when they think they're on top, um, they're, they're destroyed. Mm. Literally, in the case of Uncut Gems. Um, oh, spoilers for Uncut Gems, <laughs> by the way, in this one. Um, oh, we, we assume you're in familiar in detail with every previous episode. Yes, yeah. Perhaps we should say that at the outset. Um, but I think this film is uh, much more watchable. Maybe mm. it's, I, I will, I will not deny I have a fondness for um, black and white films. I have a fondness for noir films. Um, maybe it's not black and white. But it's films of the the earlier cinematic era. Uh, well, the, there are just genres. these different storytelling styles as the decades pass. And mm. yeah, I, I find I, I enjoy the. Sometimes it's a slower pace. It's not a slower pace here, but uh, no, yeah. it's it's all well. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to, it's not a film I'd want to watch again very often. I, I wouldn't mm. want to live in that world. It's entirely alien to my world, this kind of entertainment and desperation and, um, power. Oh, come on. Uh, if, you, of, if you were living in that world, you'd be drowning in women because you'd be the one person who actually saw them as people. <laughs> um, no, I'd be, I'd be, uh, framed in, in prison for carrying, uh, <laughs> marijuana cigarettes. Um, unfortunately, it's, uh, the the di uh, the diaphragm the di- <laughs> it distracts me now. the dialogue is um uh, again it doesn't uh, you know it has lines said straight faced like I love this dirty town which seems um I don't know it seems cliche to me now um but it kind of works there people can say that sort of thing or like match me Sydney or um you're dead son. Get yourself buried. Uh, that, you know, all those kind of very quotable lines that actually sound vaguely silly when you think about it. They, they do work in the context of the film. I'm not sure they stand up to the harsh light of day, but it's, it is so quick and so everyone's doing it. Um, Sydney conjugate me a verb to promise. I, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, 
it kind of fits in with the the superficiality of all these characters. I I I wonder if the difference for me is that the difference between this and Uncut Gems because uh, spoilers. I mean, it's probably clear how we're talking about it, but we we enjoyed. I enjoyed this a lot, lot more than mm. Uncut Gems. I I feel like in Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler's character never has any depth. There's never anything more to him. He's just this addict, um, and it's hard to find anything to like about it. And I feel there's never any moment of self-reflection or self-awareness ever. Whereas with Falco, whether it's in the acting or... Uh, I don't know, but you just get the feeling he sort of knows he's drowning in this stuff. Well, he's perhaps trying not to know. Yeah, there's there's something about that. There's, there's at least some self awareness there that he's awful, uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Well, the, there's one particular line. I, I think it's to the secretary. You know, this is life. Get used to it. Mm. Uh, and my reaction at the time, and I, I suspect it's, it's intended, is yeah, your your picture of life is this horrible dog eat dog thing because that is the life that you have chosen to live. That is yes. the way you have chosen to live it. But he uh, has to believe that everyone else. You're, you're dealing like with that. people who also think like that. You're yes. never giving them a break. They're never giving you a break. Yeah, because if he ever thinks actually life isn't like that, and actually it's me and people like me that are making this world, if he ever thought that, that would be a, a horrible realization. But he moves so quickly. I but, think that's the. I feel like he doesn't allow himself to think. It's not that he never would think it. He kind of knows it, but he keeps swimming anyway. He's trying very hard not to think it. I mean, that's yeah, certainly exactly. a, a thing because that happens. If a shark stops swimming, it dies. So keep swimming. Must keep swimming. Uh, I, I, the thing that struck me, I mean, I, I knew the broad outline of the plot anyway. It, it did occur to me that in, in a lesser film, he would turn out to be, you know, the actual devil or something of that sort. Yes. And it, it could work that way, you know, he's been poking all these people to be their worst selves all along. Yeah. But no, he, the, he's, the he's, zone ending. Yeah. he's, he's not the actual devil. He's, he's just, that's what he needs to do to get what he wants. <laughs> yeah. He's just another, sooner or later, Hunsaker will have another Falco. They're lined up around the corner. And when Hunsaker falls, there'll be another one of him. And it just perpetuates just this whole dirty city. But also, this is this is the thing you see, and the reason why Psycho was such a success. You know, pe- people who'd uh, be- been with the uh, U.S. Army in Germany and in Japan, and ca- yes. and came back, were not impressed by the scary old house anymore. They they the the new horror was the human horror that doesn't need yes. you know the devil made me do it. It's just no. These are just this is just what people do without any devils poking them. This is the the darkness of the the, the heart of humanity. Yeah, and this is a really gritty, dark. Yeah, as you say, it's a noir film without really any heroes. Visually, it's noir. The themes are noir because everyone behaves. It's very uh, lively noir. It is. Well, that's it. It's very busy and bustly and claustrophobic at the same time. Um, it gives a real sense of, I don't know what it was like in New York in the 50, in 57, uh, but it feels like a, a definitive place, whether it's reflective of the actual city, I don't know, but it feels like somewhere and something. Mm. And you, you get an idea of why people behave like that there. 
Uh, or at least either. in this particular subculture, which is the bit we see. Yes, exactly. We never see it. And the reason we never see outside of it is because those people never think outside it and never mm. travel outside of it. They just live in there. Um, it's, it's a film that had a horrible story to tell of horrible people, but it does it in a, uh, a mesmerizing way that, um, I, I, I liked a lot. I, it, I, I know some people, some filmmakers like watch it again and again and think it's a, a wonderful masterpiece. I don't think I'd want to watch it again and again. <laughs> I don't want to live yeah. in that world for too long. I mean, I might, I might watch it again, but I can't see this being a frequent rewatch. No. Not that there are many that are for me. Um, but it, well, th- we're too busy watching other films. Yeah. <laughs> other bloody podcasts. Uh, <laughs> since this, this was a critical success, um, bit of a commercial disappointment. I think some of that may have been, as we say, you know, that there aren't really people to get behind people. Um, Burt Lancaster was definitely known as a nice guy in the characters he played. Yes. Uh, Curtis wasn't as well known, but I think it was basically positive and people were expecting him to be a nice guy. And yes. he really isn't. <laughs> so. But anyway, they, these films sort of rely on that kind of undercutting yeah. of, um, what, what the, the superficial charm with you knowing what they're like. Yeah, this is why I think it's good. It's interesting to watch them in context. And so, be here, uh, when we were talking about double indemnity, you know, people see that guy's name on the billboard, that woman's name on the billboard. They think, okay, that's the person who plays these people, and then yes. they're just completely against type, and and it can work really well. So, yes, as Adam Sandler did in Uncut Gems. Um, <laughs> I, I was about to say quite often it works when a comedian plays straight, but uh, anyway. Yeah, um, but there we go. That that one didn't work for us. This this one. I mean, it is. We were talked a lot in Uncut Gems about a tragedy, um, uh, and you know why a tragedy didn't work because we didn't care. I mean, this is a similar thing, really. It doesn't really work for. I'm not like upset when Falco <laughs> ends up where he does, and I'm not like horrified. I'm not wishing he could avoid the train, which you can see. You know, it's not going to end well for anyone. Um, uh, but it still works on other levels, whereas Uncut Gems kind of didn't. So this doesn't work as a tragedy for me, because, yeah, I don't really like Falco either. But it does work as a kind of exploration of people. And hmm. it, it's just an interesting story that grips me in a way that um, uh, I wasn't in Uncut Gems. Yeah, so, so lo- looking at the... Um... Cast and, uh, well, director particularly. Um, Tony Curtis, of course, would go on to some like it hot from his best known role. Very good. Um, Burt Lancaster, he, he's pretty much at the top of his career at this point. He's obviously secure enough that he can risk playing against type a bit. And mm-hmm. um, so th- this starts to tie into the production company, which is Hecht Hill Lancaster. Um, the other two principals being Harold Hecht, an agent, and James Hill, who's a writer and producer. So, they hired, so, yeah, then we get to Alexander McKendrick. So he got his start in the Second World War making films of Ministry of Information. Um, hmm. did quite a lot for Ealing Studios, including Whiskey Galore, uh, The Man in the White Suit, The Lady Killers. Really? He did the Ealing comedies? Not, not all well, of them, but quite a few. Some of yeah. the classic ones. And then in uh, 55, Ealing was sold and effectively shut down. So he went to the US and uh, he was originally going to work on The Devil's Disciple. But that collapsed. Um, so HHL said, well, tough, you're here now. You've got to make this for us instead. Um, 
didn't get on particularly well with with the production company. They reckoned he was too much of a perfectionist. Um, after this, he did get to make The Devil's Disciple, and they fired him a month into shooting. Wow, just, okay. Um, Guy Hamilton took over that. He'd go on to make four James Bond films. Um, he was sacked from The Guns of Navarone for being too much of a perfectionist. Basically, <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say he, he was, he was really more interested in, in the, the small intimate character stories. And when he gets put on a big actiony thing, he, he, st- he wants to keep that control you can have Still on a small on. set with a small cast. Anyway, okay, um, yeah. by, by 69, he became the, uh, dean of the film school at Cal Arts and he basically stayed with that school for the rest of his life. So. Well, that's quite, um, a, a eclectic selection of, um, films he has. It's interesting that he hadn't done much in the way of noir before this. Then, um, mm. was this where was this where did the screenplay come from? Then was this based on um, a, f- a book or anything, or was it? Uh... Uh, I think so. Um, it was yeah, it was a novelette by Ernest Lehman, um, which had originally been published in Cosmopolitan in nineteen fifty. It has the feel of, of coming out. In fact, it could almost work as a play. And that was but... based on Lehman's experiences working as an assistant to Irving Hoffman, who was a press agent and columnist for The Hollywood Reporter. I see that and Hoff- Hoffman didn't speak to him for a year and a half after it was published. So. <laughs> that makes me depressed. That actually probably does reflect <laughs> what life was like in, the, in that world, at least in some way. But Le- Lehman went on to, to do quite a lot of screenwriting. He, he co-screen wrote on this with, um, Adets. Um, he was, he worked on North by Northwest. Don't think oh, he yes. was a sole writer, but, uh, yeah. There were a lot of writers on North by Northwest, as I recall. Unofficially, at least. But he gets the credit on that one. So, yeah, complicated. <laughs> complicated, uh, well, uh, was it a masterpiece for you, Roger? That's a tricky question, isn't it? It hits an awful lot of my points, but as we've been saying, it's not one that I want to go back and watch straight away. That's really the only place where it fails for me. I, I, I normally, as regular listeners will be aware, very much want characters I can sympathise with. And I, you know, their goals become the thing I want them to achieve. But mm. that's not the case here, and it still really works for me, so... I think that I, I feel like I can step back and see there is a masterpiece here, probably. Uh, everyone's at the top of the game. The dialogue's ripped smart and tells an interesting story. Uh, I think it's really good. Maybe it's the subject matter or maybe it's just, um, maybe it's just, you know, frankly, I think it's brilliant. Um, but it's an unfair comparison. You know, if you gave me this, uh, or Predator, I'd watch Predator every time, you know, I, um, but that's probably just me and my upbringing. Ah, uh, I think it's probably a masterpiece, but for me personally, it falls a bit short of me wanting to watch it again and again and being massively I, I, invested. I don't love it, but I really admire it on various yeah. technical levels, as basically the stuff we've been talking about. I, I, I can't fall into it and get absorbed in the story and enjoy it the way I can with films that I tend to regard as my real favourites. But I yes. cannot find fault with this on a technical level, so. That's the thing, it's a different, there's a difference between the favourites and your guilty pleasures, um, <laughs> uh, and that's why I feel like it's a masterpiece on some level, but it, uh, it kept me at a slight remove 
partially mm. because the characters are so unlikable. Um, and maybe that's it. I, I never really, I, I was mesmerized by it, but I never really cared what happened to them, particularly. I mean, it's I, not well, going to be something good, but I, I'm not really that fussed about the details. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I didn't want them to actively, um, <laughs> for it to happen to them sooner, like it did in Uncut Gems, but I, <laughs> I, um, uh, yeah, I think that's fair. That's a tricky one to, to characterize, but I, I think I'd go along with almost, but not quite for me. But I, if someone said to me, this is a masterpiece, I wouldn't argue with them particularly. I wouldn't be like, what are you talking about? This is rubbish. I, I can see it. I can see it. It just doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. So I think I think all's left to say is um, thank you to Gus for suggesting this. Thank I you, Gus. Don't believe I'd ever actually heard of it before, but definitely worth a watch. And uh, we we will be back. James Bond will return. No, he won't. My big toe would make a better president. I like Harry, but I can't deny he sweats a little. Mm.